What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Before we get into this episode with Stuart Stevenson, the principal trumpet of the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra, I want to take just a second to thank our sponsor for the podcast, Houghton Horns. For those of you that aren't familiar with them, Houghton Horns is a family-owned business in Keller, Texas, and their mission is to spread the joy of music through providing the highest levels of products, services, and resources to the brass playing community. One of the things I can often neglect in my life as a trumpet player is repairs and maintenance. Seriously, you guys should see the inside of my trumpets right now. At Houghton Horns, they do their repair work in-house, so you know you're getting one of their skilled craftsmen doing the work to bring your instrument back to 100%. They also do customizations, so if you were looking to customize your instrument for your specific needs, look no further than Houghton Horns. At Houghton Horns, they strive to put service to the customer as their top priority. Whether you are a beginner student, a hobbyist, or a full-time professional, Houghton Horns can help you find what you are looking for. Go to HoughtonHorns.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and today I'm joined by a longtime friend of mine uh, who uh, we've sort of fallen out of touch with each other over the past few years, so I'm excited to have this opportunity to uh, speak with him again and kind of catch up. Stuart Stevenson, the principal trumpet with the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. He and I went to Northwestern together for a year, and we went to Tanglewood together for a summer. That was We'll probably save those stories for a different podcast episode. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Stuart is, uh, he's been doing the Atlanta thing for a while now. And I think it'll be cool to get his perspective about what it's like to do that kind of job. And um, he and I went to the most recent Chicago Symphony Orchestra audition. Stuart was in the in the finals. And so I'm kind of want to dig into what his audition preparation is, uh, stuff like that. And then anything else we kind of run into. So before we get started, Stuart, thank you so much for giving me your time and uh, being willing to speak with me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me here. This is, it's good to, to catch up. And like you said, it's been a couple of years, kind of dropped out of touch a little bit, but especially this last year, but it, that's understandable. Yeah, that's pandemic <laughs> talking. Yeah. So I guess to get started, uh, just take us back to uh, little Stuart whenever he got started and, uh, you know, how you got into picking the trumpet and just sort of some of your path, uh, your education and, and getting all the way to Atlanta. Well, I guess it goes back to, um, I started playing piano at age six and that was my intro to music. Um, and that's kind of, you know, it's like it was required in my family. Me and my brother both did it. He didn't take to it, but I did. Uh, and then, uh, you know, band came along in fifth grade at my, uh, in my school in Virginia. And um, my dad actually kind of tricked me um, into playing trumpet because he used to play trumpet in like high school and college. And he had one of those like Herb Alpert, uh, Tijuana Brass, like pickup bands or, you know, cover bands. And so he had all of that kind of stuff. And um, I guess the day before I had to go into band and like, you know, pick which instrument I wanted to play. A lot of times you just like, you know, try a bunch of different ones out. Um, he was like, oh, you want to you wanna try my old trumpet? And I'll teach you a scale or something. 
And so he pulled it down from the attic and this broken old like, plastic case had holes and duct tapes in it. But like the trumpet was still fine. It was great. It was an old studio. Um, but he taught me a scale and I could make a good enough, I guess, sound on it to, to make it work. Um, and I like, of course, immediately forgot all of the notes of the fingerings and everything. But when I went into band the next day, they asked me like, Hey, what, what do you want to play? And I said, trumpet, of course. Um, so that's how I got started on trumpet. I was, uh, tricked into it. That's pretty good. It was, and they, they tried to get me to, uh, to do euphonium because they didn't have any euphonium players, but they did have already a bunch of trumpet players. And I'm glad that I said no, because well, there's like three spots for euphonium players in the US. And so I would not right. have been one of those. <laughs> yeah. So that was it. And then, you know, from there, um, I was doing okay in elementary school and then middle school, I got my braces on. And so I sounded like garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, like after I got my braces off, I finally started getting, you know, some lessons. That was like the summer right before ninth grade. And like all of a sudden things started working. Um, and so that was pretty much it. And just it kept working hard in high school and, you know, studying with teachers and the, uh, or players in the national symphony in DC and, um, air force band. And so I kind of had like two to three teachers going at one time, which was great. And also kind of stressful at the same time because <laughs> there was just so much going on, but you know, that, that obviously worked well for me. Um, and then I was at, went to Juilliard for undergrad, studied three years with Ray, uh, Mace and one year with Mark Gould and then went out to uh, Northwestern, met you there and studied both years with Barbara. And then I know right after that, you uh, were in the super semis, I think for Philly, right? Second in Philly. Yeah. So the, the Philly audition, I think it was like two weeks or three weeks or something before Atlanta. It was like, it was pretty close turnaround. And yeah, I was in this, the super finals, the last three, it was me, Tony Prisk and, uh, Mark Leniak, um, for the, yeah, for the second at Philly, um, didn't get that, but then if yeah, two or three weeks later or whatever it was, was the Atlanta audition and that, that went better. Um, <laughs> would say the other one went pretty well too, though. <laughs> I mean, yeah, anyway, but I, I guess full success is, sure, uh, sure, is sure. the better one, but no, I mean, it was, it was good. And, um, yeah, it was I don't remember so much of it anymore just because it was just like so long ago. But I remember feeling good about it and then not feeling as good about Atlanta, like actually playing. But I guess it's one of those things is just, you know, our brains are weird and that's how you interpret certain things. But yeah. Cool. Well, I think it would be worthwhile to dig into uh, some of what you learned in your education because obviously just having, you know, doing it for a long time is one thing, but to experience the kind of success you experienced at a young age, it would be interesting for you, I think, to sort of reflect upon various things you learned, whether it was at Juilliard or, you know, whatever you maybe learned from Barbara that you felt made uh, kind of the big differences for you to be able to be so successful in these, in these auditions. If you, I mean, if there's anything that comes to mind. I mean, I'll try to spell some things off, but yeah, it's, <laughs> I've always um, kind of thought of myself as like not a really cerebral player. Like I don't think about things a lot before I do them. I mean, you, you have to a little bit just to make sure you actually like do the right thing and, and make sure it actually works. Um, but I was never like a high process thinker. It was kind of just like do it. And it's like, if it works, great. And if it doesn't, somebody eventually points it out to you why. Um, that's had to change um, because that's not a really good sustainable version for our <laughs> for our field. Just like, yeah, just see what happens and and do it. 
Um, but no, I mean, a lot of it's been, it, I think some of it was like uh, the biggest things I got were from, you know, Northwestern, just from being in that studio and, and having that kind of camaraderie and that, um, that competition, but not like a cutthroat way. Mm -hmm. It was always like, Hey man, can I play for you? And everyone will always, um, tell you the truth, try to help you get better. It's not like people are just going to be like, Oh yeah, you should do it this way. And, and just like purposely derail, you know, it was always, everybody's trying to get better. And if you see somebody at an audition that you knew from school, it was like, okay, cool. Yeah, great. Let's do this. And if one of you makes it and one of you doesn't, it was a good thing. Um, so that's one thing and starting to record myself more, um, which I still hate to do. And I've always hated to do it because no matter how you play, you listen to yourself and you're like, Oh, that wasn't good. That's <laughs> no matter what you do. It's like, maybe there's like two or three times I've been like, yeah, that's great. That's exactly how I wanted it to sound. Um, but yeah, I mean, the rest of the time it's been kind of like, okay, coming to grips with what you actually sound like, what you actually do, what you actually need to do. And then just, yeah, just being honest with yourself. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm kind of curious. This is something I've come to recently. I'm kind of curious if you have any thoughts on this. Um, you're very, cons I mean, among a lot of the things I remember, I remember just a lot of consistency. You, you sounded more or less the same every time I heard you play. And I thought that was awesome. And obviously it's remaining true. And I'm curious if you, um, what you would say has, helped you become consistent? Is it sort of a way that you practice or is it sort of like a way that you're thinking about the production of your instrument? I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on um, what you feel has, because that's really the name of the game and what we do in a lot of ways. I mean, yeah, sure. you could have the best concert ever, but being able to reproduce that is how you get and keep the job. So I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on consistency. It's funny you say that because if I had to pick one word, which... Um, or like one of the one of my weaknesses that I always come back to and I still think of as one of my weaknesses is inconsistency. Mm. So that's it's interesting to hear that um because that's not how I view myself at all. Um and maybe it's I think, you know, I think my version of consistency has changed over the years. Um you know, things that were very noticeable before are maybe less noticeable and are certain other things are just more noticeable to me now. But I think a lot of it's just, <laughs> I think some of it's like, I'm good at shutting my brain off at the end of the day, or a lot of the times I am. It's like, when I go to bed, like it takes me like two minutes to go to sleep. Mm. I just like, I'm off. And I don't know if that's some of it, just like kind of like wiping it clean. Yeah, I'll still wake up the next morning, but like, ah, crap, yeah, that thing that happened the night before, but I'll feel better and I'll feel like a little bit like just clearer about it. So I don't know if maybe that be, would be some of it, but I think some of it's just, trying to, I mean, I, I warm up in a similar way kind of every day, which may, you know, be part of it. You know, I, I, this is something I, I'm not necessarily proud of it, but I do it anyway, which is like, I watch Netflix or something while I'm warming up every day, like for years now, I've like, unless I'm not somewhere where there's, you know, like I don't have internet connection or I don't have a, a tablet <laughs> or anything for better or for worse. But it's like, you know, the first like 20 minutes, I'm just, I'm just watching something. I'm like, yeah, I'm still paying attention to what I'm doing and I'm trying to make sure my breathing's working right and I'm trying to make sure my sound's working, but I'm trying to kind of divest myself from the horn a little bit when I start. Mm -hmm. Just kind of like, you know, let's get the blood flowing, let's get things kind of working and then after that I can, you know, bring myself in more. 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I watch YouTube when I'm warming up. I'm, <laughs> I do it too. You know, I, I don't know if there's like a. It's a good thing to just like you know take your brain out of it for a second to get the because like so much of this we can't really control like you know the, the lips and the tongue and the breathing. Yeah, we can affect them, but it's like we don't have master manipulation over it, or most of us don't anyway. And so I think maybe just getting that kind of like you know flexible and easy and ready. Um, and then when I have to start like focusing on things and doing things for a purpose, um, I, I generally, that's like all off and off to the side. Yeah, that's interesting. I've, I kind of have a very similar, I might like watch YouTube for too long into my practice session, <laughs> but it's like the second things start heading in a direction that is not what I want. I can pretty close, pretty quickly attribute it to, I should stop watching YouTube now and focus on what I'm doing. Um, yeah, I've done that for a long time too. I don't know if it is a good thing or a bad thing, <laughs> if there's anything to it, but um, I would be lying if I said I didn't do it. So I... I'm sure Barbara and all of our old teachers would probably all say that's a bad thing. Probably. But I mean, it, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Maybe that'll change in a few years, but at this point, that's been my, my sort of thing and it's worked well and um, I don't know. And I think... I don't know, trying to have an idea of what you sound or want to sound like each time before you play helps. Granted, yeah, your chops could feel like garbage one morning or they could feel stellar and it's going to sound sort of the same or the end product will be the same. Like maybe I won't be able to play as long or I'll be able to play longer or whatever. But I think my bass sound is enough like up here in my brain that I can, you know, get it going. I think this would be an interesting conversation too, the idea of how we develop this because it's for me... I, you know, I think osmosis is close to the right answer, right? You just like listen to good players or you have your teachers that you're trying to emulate. But uh, if you don't have access to something like that uh, in this, in a way of like a regular teacher or, um, you know, like for someone like us, you know, let's say that we wanted to, for it to be different, we're, but we're so... I find this to be difficult. I, I listen to like Sergei Nakarikov and I'm like, man, I would like to play like that. And then I play like a <laughs> like a variation of something. And it's like ta ta ka ta ta ka ta 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 ta. It's like a orchestral player. It's so hard yeah. for me to get outside. So I'm just curious of what your thoughts are of where the development of this comes from, how you sort of find your space, if you have any uh, things that you have done in your I guess your career to like affect this development in your playing. I'd I'd be interested for your thoughts. Um, I'd be interested too, because it's like some of it's, I'm sure is up here, but it's like not super codified and like, you know, easy to, um, to talk about. I mean, so like growing up, my two players that I like listened to all the time were Arturo Sandoval and Timofey Dokshitzer, neither of whom I sound like, yeah. like, not at all, but like there's certain things about them. I'm just like, I love the the color. The, there's like, but it's, and I don't know if it's it somehow formed into what I have. Um, and like, so talking about, um, this actually does talk to something we, we texted about things that are like, I'm thinking about my playing or things that I'm not comfortable with. Like, like I said, I, I don't think I'm a super consistent, um, player, but more recently I've, one of my weaknesses I think is I don't have a, to me anymore, or to me as much as I want anyway, an interesting sound. I think I've always mm. had a pretty sound, a nice sound. Um, that's what I've been told. And that's what I you know, like, hear back. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty. But it doesn't ever, or rarely to me anyway, has like enough of something there 
to hook you in to, when you hear it and you're like, yeah, I want to hear that. Even if you miss a bunch, it's like, it like hooks you in like Dokshitzer. I don't think his tone is necessarily great now compared to, you know, some of the other players, but there's always something about it that you're like, yeah, I want to like get into that. And it's like, of course you're not going to use the vibrato like that, but it's so interesting and it's so engaging. Um, and so I think that's, I think it's one of those things it's, it's constantly developing you know, before I play or um, after I play, if I record myself and, and I'll try to listen to it and be like, what could I do to make this any different? And it's like, all right, do I need to do more like concones and things like that and just take more risks? Or do I need to listen to some other players doing crazy things or doing really boring things and then trying to develop it from there? I think also some of it's, it's one of those things like as a teacher now, and you're trying to tell kids how to, you know, change their sound a little bit or make it more interesting or do whatever. It's a little bit like, you know, hit and miss because you're trying to adjust it to every person, but it's a lot of it's like just coming from up here first and then from your ears. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, Barbara's talked often. I mean, I would totally agree with this. The idea that the reason we sound like ourselves is because we hear ourselves the most. And so we kind of have to combat that with as much listening as we can do. It's interesting to hear you say that there's like elements, you know, like you said at Earthwestern, you hear everybody and, you know, Barbara would also say like when you admire something about somebody else's playing, it's not just that you like it, it's actually that you want that thing. Like, yeah. And so there's a lot, I mean, I would say there's a lot about my playing that I've always had been like, quote, like good at. I feel like I've always been able to just like go for it and stuff, but like yeah. cleanliness neatness like sort of feeling like you're gonna be able to like rely on that being there has been a weakness of mine and it's funny it's like almost the opposite problem in some ways and I've worked like hard but it's just like it's like if I don't focus on it I feel like that's why that's this interesting conversation because I feel like that's why I focus on everything that I focus on it's to bring everything that I normally do but like bring it together and have it be like neater and more compact and stuff yeah. like that it's interesting that your approach would then take you in a different possible direction almost, if that makes sense. I think it, that makes sense. And I think it also just depends, you know, like certain times of the year or sometimes of the season, maybe I'll be feeling one thing and want to have to focus on something else or, you know, during um, COVID times, I can focus on different things. Um, but it's, yeah, it's one of those like things that I'm still struggling with to um, to figure out. But I think, you know, being like we were talking about being at Northwestern, have, hearing that many great players, that many different kind of players all the time, I think it was good just like just through osmosis. You're just like constantly bringing little bits in and here. So I would say, um, you know, some of the things about like, you know, my sound and consistency, I think are probably from hearing other people. Um, and even now um, at work, you know, we finally have a full section of, of four players and it's three fantastic players, all very different players. But every time I hear something, I'm like, there's little bits I can take from each of them and I try to incorporate. One of the things I, my... yeah, one of the things I struggle with at Northwestern, I can reflect back now. I don't think I saw it at the time, but when I would hear you play or Steve play or, you know, Kyle Upton or something, and I would hear something I would like, I would want that thing, but so like I could be better, not so that like I could be the best I could be, but it's like, cool. As almost if it's like, that's like a mountain to climb is just to become yeah. the best student at Northwestern. Then I win this job. But for me, that, that like, 
that well ran out. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I stopped having things to to sort of conquer. And so that, I think that's a big reason why I have the philosophy or outlook that I do of trying to just maximize what I'm capable of. Do you feel like you struggle with any of that kind of stuff at Northwestern of like the competitiveness, maybe not out externally, but internally, do you feel like you struggle with some of that at all? I think I still do. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I think of some of the things there, um, you know, like, I don't think I've ever been the big fish in the, in the pond. Like I always considered myself one of the smaller fish. And so I would come in, I mean, you were like, you were the top player at the school. Um, and you like, you could just, no matter what you did, you could pick up a horn and just play it warmed <laughs> up or not. It was kind of, you're like, yeah, whatever. And maybe some of that was like, I think a lot of that was probably experience and you've just done more and you've, you've pushed the envelope more. Maybe you understood what was happening. Um, but there's always like, no, any of the players, and I think you've talked about this in another podcast, you'd hear like Ansel play and you'd be like, come on, like, yeah, that's not fair. I'd get and mad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of those things that's like, all right, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be as good at that kind of thing, but like, maybe I can take little bits of it. Um, and I think actually thinking back at, or like forward to now, um, you're saying you're like, you kind of ran out of that well of like of things to conquer. I think every time like I start getting better at something or I'm like, yeah, like I'm feeling good about my playing or this, this portion of my playing, like the next day or the next week, something will happen and it'll make me realize it's like, oh, I just climbed like a little bit of the ledge and there's still this giant ass hill I have to go through. But, um, and so it's just like a constant thing. Like, yeah, every time I feel good about something, I find out there's something else that I need to change about or I need to work on to make it what I want it to be. I think it's just a constantly evolving idea of my playing, of my sound, of my well, worth as a player. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, how do you manage not beating yourself up when your standard is rising? Oh, I, I, I don't manage okay. to not. <laughs> it's like it's, I, it's not. I know it's not super healthy. And there's like you know, those books people are like, oh, you should be able to you know take yourself out of that. But there's so many concerts where I'll get done and I'm just angry at myself because mm. it's like, okay, yeah, I chipped one note or something or more than one. I don't ever just chip one. It's always many, but, um, you know, and it's like, yeah, my worth is like locked into, you know, like a, a certain idea about my have about myself, which is like me at my very, very best. Like everything's working, nothing's going wrong. And that happens like, twice a year. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Right. But everything else is like, you know, I mess up and then I just get like super down or I'll like, I'll say goodbye to everybody, but I'll do it like just quickly and just peace out. Um, and I need to be able to like, you know, take myself out and be like, okay, here's why it happened. And I've started doing that more. Like I'll write down some observations I had about why that happened and just try to learn from it. Um, but I still, I think need to get to the point where I'm <laughs> not beating myself up after a concert and it's, just like, okay, it's a learning experience, not like my life depends on it because it absolutely does not. Especially now that you got tenure, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I could I could really try to not have the yeah, job right. anymore. I'd have to really try, but, you know, yeah. Yeah, I, this is interesting to me. I, I totally understand what you mean when, like, your happiness is, like, your execution of the job, like, how you did is, like, well, if I didn't mess anything up. And I feel like that, 
that exists in orchestral music kind of uniquely because you're just like one aspect of the whole thing. It's not like you are the sole creator of this thing. So like if you make a mistake, but you gave all your heart and soul, it's different than maybe even like a solo recital. But um, I would say, or I would ask you rather, um, do you feel, I mean, you may be improving. You may be feeling like you're making some strides and being able not to beat yourself up. But if you're your best, let's say two times out of the year and the rest of them, you're kind of beating yourself up. How sustainable do you see that being long-term? Long-term, not super sustainable. Yeah, um, sure. And it's like, I think it's, you know, most of the time I'm not beating myself up. I would say, you know, it's like, there's a decent portion of those, but then like, I think the the majority of the time I'm like, hey, okay, that was like it was fine, or it was like okay, it was good. Um, and I think maybe that number I'm I'm trying to to increase that number and then take away from the beating myself up number, and just take it in stride a little bit, and then try to pick it apart a little bit and figure out why certain things happen. And I think I'm the more I do it, and the and the more I think about it, and the more I teach, the more I understand why things either work or don't work. But occasionally I'll still like have many questions and um, you know, I'll, occasionally I'll play for Barbara or I've, uh, last time I was in New York, I went and chatted with Ray Mason. I had a couple of questions about like some things that weren't working for me or I thought weren't working. He had a different take on things and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And I just hadn't thought about it that way. Um, but yeah, I think if you beat yourself up all the time, not sustainable at all. I think yeah. it's good for short, you know, for certain things if you like, if you like really want to work hard to push through something, yeah, you got to be really honest with yourself. And I think I, I work well a little bit like that, like beating yourself up a little bit, but it's got to pull back at some point and kind of normalize. Yeah, one of the ways I've, I have found, and you hear a lot of people talk about for being able to sort of disassociate yourself from some of that is to basically just have other stuff to do, you know? <laughs> Like uh, whether it's other hobbies or other interests and other things. Like for me, I'm sure it's most people know that um, like powerlifting is sort of a big thing that I'm into, and it like takes up you know psychic energy to learn about it and stuff. Uh, are there other things um, in your life that are kind of like that for you that help you sort of disassociate from Stuart as a trumpeter and become Stuart as a whatever the other thing may be? Yeah, and I think um, it's probably gotten easier to do it a little bit as, as things go. Um, but like, I have a dog now that you have to take out walks, get to play with her and dogs are just fun and they make you smile. Um, you know, I, I play video games for a while. I was playing along, you know, a lot and then I would try to do less of it. So I would practice more. And then I had to come to like, you know, find that balance. Sure. Sure. Um, I'm a, uh, I work at like renovating my house. Um, I've been doing that since 2014. So, Sometimes that's like that's a good thing. Like if I have to demo something, that's a great way to take some go. aggression on the guys <laughs> I'm playing. Just just you know beat away at things, um, and then you know rebuilding. So that like that does take my mental focus off of playing. And one of the things that I think that allows me to do is like I'll still like I'll listen to music or I'll be singing or like whistling or like tonguing and playing along with things in my head. But it like takes me away from the the physical trumpet and gets me in a different environment. Yeah. It's like if you can like think about excerpts while you're swinging a hammer, it's gonna you're gonna be not like focused on it the same way. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sort of I'm sort of going through a little bit of this fatigue right now. A little bit of like, there's a lot that I want to do. There's a lot I would like to be really 
good at because I feel like I can do a good job if I just do my best. But then like it becomes like a bit of a weight almost where you're like, well, I know like if I do my best, I can do a great job. But like my best is like it's it takes a lot for us all to do our best, basically, I think. And I think that's where some of this weight and this fatigue comes from is like it's not from an unhealthy place of I have to like prove something. It's from a place of like, I know the difference between my best and what just happened. And I feel like I could have yeah. done it. You know, I totally get it. I think it's one of those like, you know, we've had teachers tell us, it's like, you know, if you miss a note, like that's in the past, don't think about it. And then, cause if you start thinking about it, it's going to mess up whatever, you know, just happens. And it's, it's just so hard to take yourself out of that mindset. Um, and to not let it affect you. I think it just takes a lot of experience because I'm, you know, talking with older players and like I, would, I played for Phil Smith a couple of times. And I would kind of ask him questions like that. And he's like, oh yeah, I think about it all the time. It's just, he was good at kind of like just, just keep going and, and to just kind of to play through it. Um, and I just haven't gotten to that point yet fully. <laughs> where yeah, I can, yeah. You know, separate the two, but. Yeah, I mean, I totally hear you. It's. It's like an unexpected thing that happens as you get better, I feel like. And the more you achieve, you start to see what's what's possible. Like you, you achieve to a certain point and then like kind of everything opens up and you're like, well, yeah. now at this level I'm at, I could kind of do a lot of different things. And it just becomes, yeah, like it's just work to maintain that. It's work yeah. to, to get there. And yeah, it just becomes a, a kind of a weight. I think, yeah, the, the better we get, and I'm sure you think the same thing, it's like, you know, it's like you're tonguing. You're like, okay, probably it's been fine for a long time, and maybe you thought you are really good at tonguing. But, like, certain little aspects just change a little bit. You're like, okay, maybe I want a little more rounded here, or you hear someone release a certain way, and you're like, crap, why can't I do that? And it's just a constantly evolving thing, and it's, you know, it can get tiring, but I think it's it's all for the, the greater good, you know, for us and the group. And I think, yeah, like... Like I said, it's not, um, it has not, it's like, it's not like you're going to, you die if you miss a note. No, it's just, you want to give the best product you can. And especially like, like I said, like I hit those two good times a year. That's what I compare myself to every time, which is not super healthy. I should compare myself <laughs> like the normal times where I get like the, the vast majority of the times. And that's my, that should be my norm. But I, I think it can be a good thing sometimes to put yourself up on that and just like, to try to make yourself get to that point, but it can't be yeah, sustainable. So, I, I think it's kind of sustainable, to be honest. I mean, I, I think if you're holding yourself up against the best version of yourself, I think that's healthier than holding yourself up against the best version of somebody else. You know, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. You're not so, gonna you're not gonna sound like someone you're not. Yeah. But knowing that your best is up here and it requires a certain amount, I think it's a really beautiful thing because then it requires you to have conversations that are like, do I actually really want this if this is what it takes? <laughs> I try not to have those deep conversations because it'll yeah, scare uh, me sometimes. But I'd live there no. now. <laughs> um, so one of the aspects that I've I've sort of digested from people about who have jobs. It's not just us as, as musicians, but um, just jobs that require a lot of them is an element of joy or an element of sort of that flow state feeling of time just yeah. disappears uh, is, is something that kind of can make the hard work worth it. It's not just the result, but actually the feeling of 
doing it or being in a concert. Do you do you have experiences where you feel like not that you're chasing that, but you find yourself being able to get to that that helps kind of get you out of that I'm grinding and into the it's enjoyable part of it? Yeah, actually, um, and that's actually happened during lockdown, actually. <laughs> so it was sometime in like the middle of last year, my wife and I drove out to LA to visit with my in-laws. Um, and there's a couple of times where like, uh, she wanted to go down to the beach or something because they live close enough to, to walk down there. And I'll just be practicing and like just enjoying it and like really digging into stuff that I haven't really gotten a chance to before. And like two and a half hours pass and, and then she's like, all right, like, can we finally go? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I've been waiting for you. And but I was just like, I had no idea where time went. And I feel like once I can get into that kind of state where it's like, it's either I'm digging into something I can't do, or I'm just like, there's an A2 book that's just like, ah, oh, this is a lot of fun or something. And that's where the times are, I feel really good about my playing after that. And that'll sustain me for a couple of days. Um, and yeah. so I'm kind of always chasing that. And it's not, I don't get that every day, um, but I do tend to lose track of like what time it is. Even if there's like, there's a clock on my wall when I'm, when I'm practicing, but I like just won't look at it. Cause I'm just like, thinking about what's in front of me or thinking about the horn. And I really enjoy that. And then, you know, and in, in rehearsal, and I don't know what it's like uh, with the orchestra, but it's like, does your conductor have a, a clock off to the side? Our, it's right behind us. So everybody okay, like turns around to look uh, at it. It's like they're staring at me. <laughs> um, well, so ours is off to the side, you know, it'd be like, occasionally I'd be looking over and staring at him like, all right, it's, it, it should be time to go. And that's not good. Like I, I don't, want to be looking at the time. I want to be in it. And that's some of it depends on the conductor and the music and everything. Um, but it's like, you know, I'm starting getting to the point where now I'm trying to pick up something or really get into something, no matter what it is, whether it's fun or not fun or something about the conductor that I like or dislike and just trying to like gauge more with it. Um, and so I'm not thinking about the time and yeah, dude. I, I, it's exa- It's very similar for me. Concerts are like that. Concerts go by in a flash for me, yeah. you know? It's like something about we're going to sit down and we're going to do it and we get to enjoy it and we're not going to stop halfway through or micromanage this or that. Mm-hmm. I've had so many rehearsals where I'll look at Nick and I'll say, Nick's second trouble. Well, you know Nick. Yeah. I'll say like, how much time do you think has passed? <laughs> and he'll be like, 45 minutes. And I'll be like, I feel like it's got to be like an hour and we'll turn around and it's like, like 10, 20. 10. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's happened so many times just because, yeah, for some reason, rehearsals are not really, there's no, for me, no uh, flow, right? It's a, kind of what you're talking about. I like that perspective of trying to, um, I mean, I, I went and saw Barbara once. And so right after that, I was like, I'm going to like bring the score, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> Uh, but How generally, long did that last? <laughs> yeah, not. I didn't even bring yeah. it because I, I, I don't know. There's, uh, there's reasons. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want people to think I was bringing the score to like watch their parts, you know. But uh, anyway, yeah. But I think that's a beautiful way of thinking about it. Like you are going to, you know, it's possible, and so you're not just going to do the thing we mostly easily yeah. could do, which is say like, oh, this sucks. I'm just going to get on my phone or whatever. But try to engage. I think that's awesome. And it, like I said, it's it's easier if you have a conductor or a piece of music that you really enjoy. Like even if you're not playing, but like there's stuff going on around you, and you're just like, yeah, that's cool. Like, a, um, actually, so thinking about that, like this year, so we've been playing since September. Um, we have a max of 35 people on stage. Everything's like you know, it's recorded. There's no audience. Um, so it's been a lot of like 
Haydn, Beethoven, Mozart, like very light things, two trumpets, maybe two horns. Um, and so initially it was like, ah, oh, this is going to be really boring. Um, cause I've never really enjoyed playing like Mozart and Haydn symphonies. Cause it's like, all right, what are we C major or D major pick one sure. of the two. And that's it. Sure. Um, but it's been like, it's been interesting to highlight that kind of stuff. Cause it's like, oh, my rotary playing is not as good as I thought it was. And there's like certain aspects about that where it's like, like I said, like it's been okay for a while. And now that they focus on it, like blossomed into this other thing or like, here's all these other little things you could work on. Um, but then just like being able to listen to what's happening during those more and be like, okay, like how does this interplay work? Not like, all right, I have 70 measures till I have to play a C again right. and then a G after that. No, it's been like, and we've had shorter rehearsals. So maybe that, that helps a little bit. Um, but just been able to engage more and I've been enjoying it more. And I think it's also just from, you know, cause we hadn't played for so long and like brings back a little bit of that, like appreciation, appreciation and love for you know, getting back into it. Yeah. That's, I think it's a beautiful perspective. Uh, how old were you when you won the job again? You were like 24? 24. Yeah. Yeah. What was that like? Because we can't just ignore that Tom <laughs> Hooten and Chris Martin were there before you and you're a young guy first job, principal trumpet in a very storied orchestra. Um, just what was it like? I, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like whether or not my audience is, I, I'm kind of <laughs> curious because I, I was in Indianapolis for a year at 24 years old and I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> um, so let alone like the kind of, you know, not just having a job like that, but then again, like, you know, having guys like Chris and Tom who are who are like doing the job, like that's what they yeah. were used to. And then you coming in and being new and having to learn like sort of the the, the curve, the learning curve on top of trying to fit in. I'm just curious like yeah. what your experience was. I mean, for a while, it was a little bit of like imposter syndrome, right? Cause it's like, all right, I shouldn't have this job because look at them and like, listen to them. Um, but some of it was just like, I didn't know what I was doing for probably a good three, four years, like realistically, like I, there's occasionally I'm still doing things. I'm like, why would I do it that way? Or why wouldn't I do something a certain way? Cause I'm just learning about it. Um, but yeah, like I didn't really know what I was doing. Luckily, um, Mike Deshone, my second at the time, now he's associate. Um, he kind of helped guide me through some of the pitfalls and things. And like, I'd never dealt with castings before and having to deal with older members of a section who maybe can't play the same way anymore. And like having to balance that and talking between sections, talking to the conductor. Cause like when you're in school, you can talk to people in the other sections cause like you hang out with them. Right. And if you're not hanging out with people in the orchestra, like from other sections all the time, which I don't think a lot of people necessarily do is just different interests and age difference as well. It was kind of interesting to learn how to talk to people and, um, and how to, approach certain subjects different ways. But a lot of it was like, I'd go and I'd just try to be as prepared as I could be, whether I was or not, because that it just depended um, or comfortable with what was going to be happening. And then just kind of like asking for advice whenever I needed some help with something. And ever like the, I think I had a very friendly orchestra, which was good. It wasn't like I came in there and people were like, oh, great. Yeah, we had Chris and we had Tom and now sure. we have this idiot. Uh, yeah. No, it wasn't like that. Everybody was like, yeah, great. I'm happy you're here. Uh, they they were all very helpful. Um, Colin Williams, uh, he was principal trombone at the time. Now he's in New York. He was sitting on my left all the time. And he was also super helpful and he was easy to play with. 
I mean, he could play like painfully loud at times. And I was like, I can't match that, but it'd always be good. There was always something like about it. And then if I asked him for his opinion or like he would occasionally maybe be like, Hey, what do you, what if we phrase this way? Or, you know, it was, everybody was helpful. Sure. Right. And so it was like, here's how we generally do things. And now I have the ability, like a few years down the line, be like, I don't want to do it that way anymore. Like phrasing things. It's like, okay, maybe we used to do this, but uh, 75% of the, or the um, trumpet section's different. Half the trombones are different. Half the horns are different. It's like, we can take it a different direction if we want to. Yeah, and right. And so I finally have the ability to like lay that course down. As, whereas before it was just like survive. <laughs> sure. One of the things I found to be uh, interesting when I got the job in Alabama, um, my second trumpet player was Ryan Barwise. And Ryan was a great guy, great player, you know, like it <laughs> Great guy, great player. That's the Dan Egan thing. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, but I felt sort of like I was the new guy coming in. And then Ryan left and Nick was hired. And it was a whole different vibe because I was there when Nick got the job. So, yeah. like, I wasn't the new guy anymore. And so I felt like it affected my leadership. And I was never... I, you know, I'm not that kind of principal that's like, we're my way or the highway. But I felt much more comfortable sort of saying can we do this? Can we do, you know, it felt like I could actually be yeah. an effective leader. And so I can imagine a very, I mean, that plus a hundred, right? Because you're just with players like that who have been doing it for a long time the way they've been doing it. So I can imagine having things yeah. shifted around a little bit would give you some more uh, comfort in that regard. Some comfort and just, and confidence too. Cause I mean, we come in and like, no matter what you're, you think you're playing is it's like, as soon as you add the rest of the orchestra into it, a conductor, it's like, things change and maybe you're less confident about how things work. And then you hear something a different way and you're like, crap, am I, is that how we're supposed to be doing it? And yeah, so they were all just very helpful. And yeah, it was never like, I think it was only a couple of times where I've had to put my foot down, so to speak, and be like, we're doing it this way. Most yeah. of the time it's like people suggest things that which I'm happy they, if they do, it's like, okay, yeah, it's a good idea. Maybe that's, maybe it's right. Maybe it's not, I don't know, but it's, it's been collaborative. And I think that's been the the best part of it. That, that's great, man. I'm happy to hear that. Um, another thing that would be interesting to get your perspective on, uh, you were there for both lockouts, right? Or just the second one? Uh, just the second one. Okay. So yeah, just the second one. <laughs> take us there with that. I mean, um, I know it wasn't amazing. <laughs> no, so it's like I, I got through my first year and then during the summer, it was kind of like, oh, things aren't looking good. And I, I don't even remember like when it happened officially. I, I want to say it's like in September, you know, when we were supposed to be playing. Um, and that wasn't great. And it was like, you know, I'd been to orchestra meetings and they kept, you could tell like they were getting more and more like um, anxiety ridden and like. Pay off your credit cards. <laughs> and a little, yeah, a little more realistic about things. And it was like, uh, and, um, and I, I had already bought a house. And so I was like, ooh, this is not good. Like, I don't have tenure yet, which is, that was a bold move, but I did it anyway, because it was, got a good deal on it. Um, yeah, like, I was like, all right, man, am I going to have to sell off the house and go live with my parents? Am I like, you know, what's, what's going on? And so that wasn't great, but like, at least the people that were on the committee were, you know, very knowledgeable and experienced about it. And I, I'm glad I was not on the committee for any of that. And it's, it's just, it's, it was really stressful, but I got really lucky in the fact that Billy Gerlach was, uh, who had, he'd won national the year before or 
sometime, I don't even know when he won it. Yeah, it was during my first year. So yeah, um, Tom Couples had just left to go down to Fort Worth. And so they had an, an empty second spot. And Billy and I were roommates for a year at uh, Northwestern. He was like, hey, um, you guys are locked out. Do you want to come play? So I played seven weeks in national um, playing second and then went back to, uh, I think I played like a, a week in Kansas as well. And then went back to Atlanta after that, after the lockout happened. So I got really lucky in the fact that like, I could still pay my bills. I was still actively playing every week. Um, and actually I was staying with my parents, funny enough, in North of Virginia. Um, so it was, I was also having, you know, free rent there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I, it was, it was not a good situation. And I, I got very lucky about it. And I know a lot of people didn't, but a lot of people were, and luckily a lot of orchestras in the U S were, were just offering people work, you know, that, that were locked out, like, Hey, just come down you know, we'll, we'll figure something out. We'll help pay for it. And then, and play. So, uh, my understanding is that things are better though, right? Like, yeah, like we've, had a, have, we've had a balanced budget. And I think we've had a surplus for the past like four years. That's amazing. Now I think going on five, I believe this fiscal year would be the same, which is great. And it's like, you don't want to only manage your money because then sometimes the focus is just money. And as a nonprofit, it's like, all right, well, are we supposed to be turning a profit? Really? I mean, like, yeah, we are, but, um, Luckily, I think we have good um, leadership and, you know, we're a con conductor search as well. So that's interesting. But like we've had very good support from the community. Um, we're building things back um, and we have a lot in our, you know, like saved up now as well. So it's not just like we're earning money to immediately spend it. It's like we can save some of it for next time when that when that might happen. Yeah, that's so, awesome. So we, we have some comfort and peace of mind. Um, is it what we want it to be? No. Is it what it used to be? No, but that's how life works. So, and you just, you go from where you are and just keep working and then you'll eventually get to where you want to be, hopefully. Yeah, that's a pretty nice summer, summation there. I like it. <laughs> I go yeah, with I simple just, things like that. Just keep working and it'll be fine. That's yeah, I was just curious, you know, like uh, we you hear stuff and you see whatever's in the media and you and I know that that's not always... Not everything you read is always what it is. Yeah. I mean, it's so much of it is also, you know, it's the perspective of who's telling what's happening. That's Even what if I'm it's, saying. yeah, it's like, you know, the facts may all be, you know, completely true and everything, but if it's told in a certain way with a certain inflection, you're like, you get a different vibe about it. And it's, things are better. Yeah. Um, I don't think we go to work like dreading, like, is this going to be that kind of year again? Cause it's been better and it's been just like, you know, a positive outlook. And I think that helps everybody's mental and, you know, physical, like, um, uh, oh my God, what's the word? Health. <laughs> yeah. That's the one. That's the one. Health. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's great, man. I'm really, I'm really, really happy to hear that. Uh, yeah. I mean, like you said, it may not be exactly what it was or what it, but the fact that it's like healthy and yeah. more sustainable is definitely always a good sign. I, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, and we're, you know, we, like I said, we finally have a full section. Um, I think it had been a three person section for like a year before I got there. And now this is my eighth year. And so we finally, this is the first season we've had four people, um, which is also the lightest season we've had since I've been here. But it's, <laughs> but at least we have that now. Sure, um, sure. And we're building up other, you know, places back in the orchestra as well. Because we got so, down to like, 
70 something musicians. We were supposed to have 88. And at one point it was like a hundred and something, but it's, it's, I think we're still trying to get back to 88, but we're getting there slowly. Yeah. Is it cool if we dive in? This may not even be a long story. Like this, I would just, I would be interested to dig, dig into the, the CSO audition and sure. like just yeah. what that was like. Cause my perspective, here's my perspective of that audition. We were in the same exact round in the prelims. And then you were like number 10 and I was number seven. And then, or something like that. And somebody was Makes like, sense. Brian, I think a guy named, I think Brian Strolley, I think was like, I, I have to like go. Like, and I was like, I'll switch with you. So I then became after you. And then yeah. that's what I attribute. They just heard you first. That's what I attribute. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, we both got, it was good to see you there. And I was like, oh yeah, that's like, that's right. I haven't been to an audition in a while. You're going to see other people that you know. Right. No, I just um, thought it was, and then I remember texting you because you had yeah. left. And I remember I had, texting I you. I was like, out. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you made the finals and you're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I was in, I think, sec, like getting ready for like the security line at um, LaGuardia or something. Because I had to get back and like, like you had texted me and I hadn't heard from the, um, the CSO admin yet and i was like oh what's brian beach like what <laughs> yeah i was like oh you mean i was like oh okay like all right well that's not what i was expecting but sure cool. yeah i so, mean it was i think it also helps like it's the good and bad thing about auditions i think where you are like your how, how the person before or after you directly plays can be a good or bad thing on how <laughs> the committee yeah. takes you I'm just kidding. I, I I think it all worked out the way it was supposed to work out because I've heard. I mean, at least in no, terms I mean, of like that. there was. <laughs> I can't remember who was in front of me, and I, even if I did, I wouldn't say their name. But like, it wasn't their best day. Sure, sure. And so I think I, when I went in, it was like it wasn't my best day, but I think it was like eh, it was a good representation. It was like my good like normal like block, and I was like okay, fine. It was yeah, it was good enough, I guess, to get through. Yeah, it's so funny. I I, I think. I actually made a podcast episode out of that because it's like it's like the literal only record audition I've ever recorded, and it's because I live streamed me preparing for it. So I was like, "Wow, well, some sort of result might be kind of nice." And I made a whole podcast episode out of it, and I'm like really happy with the whole entire thing until I get to Schumann two, which I don't <laughs> even think you had to play, if I remember right. And then I played Schumann too, and it just my rotary playing was not what it was supposed to be, and I'm pretty sure like everything was like maybe we're hanging out here, and then I think yeah. that was like Charlie his his comments were everything was great until Schumann too, and then it wasn't. It's like okay, <laughs> like that's that's some good constructive criticism. Yeah, that's thanks. fair. That's fair. But uh, um, I was curious yeah, I don't about remember the. If I... Yeah, I don't remember either. I mean, I was just curious about the finals. What was that like? Um, so this is the second time I've been in the finals. Um, so the first time I think we played like three rounds or something or two rounds. So like there was like a pre-final and then like two versions of the final round, like, uh, you know, the solo round and then the excerpt round. And this was a, I think it was a, sh it felt like a shorter one. I could be wrong. I, I, it's been what, like a year and a half. And it's, it seems like it was like, 10 years ago, like, I have no idea. You were probably was, in slow state too. I think I'm just good at forgetting things. Oh, that's fair. Or my brain just doesn't remember things, one of the two. <laughs> but it was like, I remember getting out of that and being disappointed that I didn't play more. And it was like the, one of the first times that I've had that an audition where I was like, 
my playing wasn't the best it's been, but it was nowhere near the worst. Like I think it was like it was pretty good, and I think that's why I was disappointed because I was like, finally, I feel like confident like about my playing in an audition, and they were like, okay, that's good, bye. Mm. And I was like, all right, well, you know, it's it's not a it, it was nothing bad, and like you know, I got comments from as much of the committee as as they would who would give me comments. And they were all very helpful. And some of them, like, I didn't understand until, like, I don't know, six months ago. Where, like, it finally clicked into my head after mulling around there for a long time. Um, but it was, it, it's always weird going out there because their hall looks like, or, like, the actual audience looks like it should be bigger than it is. Like, you go there and it always feels like a little bit, to me, yeah. like a little bit cramped in front. And they're all out there just kind of, like, no one has an expression. They're like... Yeah, what are you doing here? Like, play something for us. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just went out there and like just tried to get as comfortable as I could. Um, and I think that's like that's been my better thing for auditions. Like, they like if they want to shoot, use a certain stand. I'll, if there's another stand that I want to use, I'm like, can I use this one? I'm just like, just shuffling things around, and you know, it's taking as much time as I need to get comfortable. Mm. Um, and you know, like I, I felt relatively good about having prepared everything because that was a that's a big list and it's yeah. just like it's impossible it's hard to prepare that like normally but it's also hard to prepare that if you're also applying a job so it's right. like all right how, what do i want to save like the thing that's making me money or the thing that could make me money like i yeah <laughs> you just try to balance that and so some of it was like i know how it all goes and i'm comfortable enough even if i'm not like super prepared and luckily they didn't ask anything that i was like about Everything was like, yeah, I know this. This is comfortable. I've played it or I've heard it enough or played it in a rep class or something a long time ago, but I know how it goes. And so it just, I don't know. I felt good about it. And then I was just disappointed that I didn't get to play more. Like, even if I didn't get the job, I was like, just, I want to play literally like 20 minutes. Like, just let me, just let me do some more and then I'll go home because I spent so much time, like, you know, preparing it, which I guess is, like normal audition thing is like, yeah, I spent so much time learning it and so much time getting here and staying there. Like you owe me at least like eight minutes. And it's not like they short trip yeah. me at all. Like they, I got like a normal amount of time and it was all good, but it's, yeah, I just wanted more. Yeah. And then like, where the, was the screen down at that point? Yeah, the screen was down and there was like, for our auditions, I think we have a committee of like seven or eight or something. And that's all you'll see in the hall. And they had like 20 people out there. Oh, wow. Maybe it wasn't that many, but I think it's like you you had their committee and I think there was like other people that could either audit or something oh, from other I sections. I don't know exactly how their, their system works, but it was, um, yeah, it was just, it was interesting. You know, it's like to see that many people sitting out there. But I think at the same time, I was just kind of like, like once I got out there and got like set up in my spot, I just kind of like tried to turn that off a little bit so I wasn't looking at them. Yeah, because then they would bring out like they would put a piece of music in front of you, and I don't know if they didn't for your round as well. Yeah, they would just like you just like sit around. And you're like, what's next? What are, what are we gonna do now? And they put something else. You're like, all right, I gotta change horns and like. And so I kind of maybe I kind of like that because it was like I couldn't really think about what the next piece was gonna be because I didn't know. Yeah, I liked that too. Actually, instead of seeing the whole round and knowing bar talk was gonna be at the end, and you're like, okay, <laughs> I gotta like save for that. You just. Yeah, gave what you had to whatever was in front of you. I kind of liked it too. Yeah, I think they, I don't remember exactly what the order was, but I think it was like a fair order. So it wasn't like, uh, you know, like it wasn't like high piccolo followed by like Carmen followed by Bart. You know, like it was, it was a good, 
it was a good list. So I wasn't like, I didn't feel bad. And it also, I mean, like there's certain things about that, that whole round that taught me about like the equipment I was using. Mm. And it was like, for, you know, like for the longest time I had this uh, B flat that I thought was fine, but it was like kind of clunky. I didn't really love it, but I was like, maybe that's just my playing. And I got through like our tuning and like thing, like there's a couple of things that just didn't work right. And I was like, it should have. And I know this wasn't necessarily on me and it like some of it was, but you know, it was me like understanding like, oh, maybe this isn't just quite right for me. And I spent some extra time finding a new B flat that makes me feel better about my playing. Yeah, nice. So given the comments you received, you don't have to say what those comments were, but given those comments you received, given how you felt about the the totality of the CSO audition, and then sort of bringing in a little bit of just your general success in auditions, what do you feel like it is that is about your playing that um, gets you into these, you know, finals positions, positions that, you know, uh, and these big jobs, I mean, if you, I mean, of course, it's going to be hard to reflect and say like, I'm <laughs> awesome. But I mean, if there's anything you can point to, or you've gotten comments back on that you feel like is something that is um, to your advantage in an audition, I'd be very curious if it's something we can all apply to our own playing as well. Sure. Actually, I brought my notebook in because like, like I said, like I'm good at forgetting things. <laughs> and I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of the things that I've, you know, the comments I got and things I, I like, I tried to digested already, but some of them I definitely, I just can't remember. Um, I think some of it speaks to like, I think I've always had a nice sound. Maybe I like, like I said, I don't think it's the most interesting sound and I'm working on that because I want to have that kind of hook that when people hear it are like, yeah, I want to, I want to sound more like that. But I think I've always had a nice sound. And to your point, you think I've always been pretty consistent. I guess I must be, there must be something to that, to the fact that like I've gotten through, you know, auditions and they've wanted me or enough to hear me, you know, the next round. Um, but I think some of it's also just preparation. I mean, some of it's like, you know, we, we learned in school, like you got to learn all the scores, you got to know what's going to happen before and after. And that works, especially like when you don't have a job, but now that you've been in the job, like you can, you've played a lot of these pieces or at least some of them, you can be comfortable with like the timing and the flow of it. It's not like you're having to recall everything from memory, but like, oh, during the recording, it has to be this tempo and this. Now you're like, yeah, okay, I got the vibe of the piece and I can just like swing into it rather than having to, you know, process every single thing. Um, I mean, like, you know, for just audition prep stuff, like, you know, like just making mock rounds, I would do that a bunch and play for my wife who's an oboe player. And a lot of times she'd give me comments and a lot of times she'd be like, it sounds good or that sounded weird. And I'd be like, all right, I gotta understand why and try to record myself. Um, but like, <laughs> so things that I've, I mean, learned from it. And then like uh, Mick Mulcahy was, he was kind of like, try to make your lines more interesting, which is a really simple way, like, you know, put, he, he has a thing called like Mona Lisa notes. So it's like, you pick something in the line and make that the most interesting. And I think a lot of times I would just kind of like, get through and I want to make it sound nice and I want to make it sound good and in control maybe. Yeah. Which I think it kind of goes to my sound where I've always like, I want a nice sound. I want an in control sound. I want, I want to be like dependable player. And I think that's worked well for me, but now I want that, you know, like I saying, like that hook to me more than just that. And so I think that's one of the things that maybe has done well. Cause even at, you know, Atlanta, I was 24. I had zero experience. I think I'd played like, one of the pieces before 
before I started the job, it's like, you know, like on the list, it's like, I don't know any of it really. But I think I sounded good and I sounded dependable enough and confident and like stable enough. Um, but it was like, dig deeper into things, be more expressive, which is also not my forte. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I had a nickname growing up that my dad gave me, which was Stoneface. Which I'm like, if people see me like during concerts, I look either bored or like just like there's nothing. Yeah, I like pissed when I do concerts. <laughs> um, and I think it's maybe that's just like people are like, oh, you don't look nervous at all. And like, I will be. I just like, there's just nothing going just on stone out here. face, yeah. And so I don't know if that like that helps, gives me like some sort of like, like presence or some, you know, like being seated or something you know, like in, in what's happening. I don't know. But I don't think that hurts because sure. if you see people and you see like you see them get like anxious or nervous about something and it makes you nervous, even if you're not in their section, you're like, oh, oh I feel nervous for them. And then it affects your playing. And I think maybe the fact that I just kind of look like, here's what I'm giving you. If you don't like it, too bad. But like, yeah, I'll take criticism. Sure. But like, this is what you're getting. Um, and I think that's kind of how I felt during the CSO audition where I walked out and I was like, Here's how I'm playing this. Like, if you have another idea, I'm up open for it. But they were just kind of like, "Yep, next, next." They just keep going to the next excerpt, not you know playing anything a, a, a second time. Um, but just like, here's how it's going to be. Um, if you don't like it, then just you know say next. <laughs> so I just did a video on performance anxiety, and it, I have like it's like these four points or these four ideas that I think are, are worth exploring for people who struggle with performance anxiety. So number one is preparation. Like that's going to be the biggest thing, right? Like yeah. if you're not prepared, which you just described, like you have levels of preparation that help you kind of know what's going on, get into the flow, get into the vibe. Number two is caring too much about what other people think. I feel like you just addressed that one pretty nicely. <laughs> I would to say like, it's hard to get to that point, but that was one of those days where it was just like everything lined up right and I didn't care. Yeah. The third thing I'm kind of curious for your thoughts would be that you like care more about the excerpts. This is would go to preparation, but you like care more about excerpts than you do like scales. And so you treat, so it's basically like I treat these things really, really importantly, but then when I practice scales and stuff, I'm introducing inconsistencies, whether it's through yeah. playing or mental inconsistencies because I'm not taking it as seriously. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I think I've had to adjust my thinking about it. Cause I mean, like, you know, when we were in school, I didn't think about scales. Yeah, I was like, I got to learn. Yeah, I got to learn the excerpts. I got to learn these etudes or whatever. But now it's like, even when I'm warming up, I don't want to, you know, mess up my scales or arpeggios because I want to make them sound as clean as I can. I think like, you know, even in the warm up, if I'm, you know, watching something and I'm not really focusing on it, I'm still trying to make sure that like it all sounds good and it's all working right. And if it isn't, then it's like, it takes me out of that. And I'm like, all right, I got to fix that and get it going. But I think, yeah, if you can get yourself set up well on the easier things that when you get to like the more difficult things that are more important, uh, you know, um, quotes, you know, your quotations like for our life, like, yeah, excerpts are going to be more important for us on an audition, but you got to sound good and on a, on a scale and you got to be comfortable. You got to be set up and it's got to, you know, that's got to be your, your starting place. You can't just like pop out Alpine symphony and then sound like garbage on a D minor scale. Yeah. Right. Like they're, they're connected and they have to be. And that's like, 
I totally agree. Um, I, it's something. Yeah, I, I, I just I feel like the more serious I've taken, like Arborn exercises, Goldman etudes, stuff like that, the better overall by playing, which seems to make sense. But I think it can be easy for especially younger players to care way more about you know things like excerpts or solo. Yeah. So the fourth point is the one I'm really interested in your thoughts on, which is you care too much about the outcome. And this is the reason I get nervous. Still, like at the CSO audition, I was sitting in that room and I had like, I got there at like nine and I played at like 11. So I'm just like two hours of saying, it's okay, Ryan. It's fine. You have a job. It's okay. Yeah. If this doesn't work out, it's okay. But at the same time, I was like, but I really want to win this job. You know, like I, it's like hard for me to disassociate myself from how yeah. much I'm interested in winning the job or I wouldn't be there in the first place. So I'm kind of curious how, because this, nobody can win the job wanting to win the job almost like like you have to be able to do that and so i'm kind of curious if you have ways that you have worked to disassociate yourself so that you can focus on the audition itself and not the result yeah i mean i think like the you know being there for two hours it's gonna set you up worse <laughs> for it just because you have so much time to you know get in your own brain um but yeah i think like you know having a job makes it easier but it's still there, like yeah, like you said, like the reason you're you're there is not just like for fun. Like you don't go take the CSO audition for fun just because you had an extra like an open weekend. You're like, oh great, I'll I'll knock this out and and be back home next day. No, like you're there because you want to get the job because something about it is interesting to you. Um, my my thing like for auditions now and for um, you know like if I'm doing a solo or something and I'm warming up downstairs. Like I'll have headphones in like ninety eight percent of the time. Like I'm, I'm just listening to to music to like, not even like of the uh, you know the the excerpts or anything. I'm just listening to anything. I'm listening to to metal to rap like to anything just to get my brain out of that that thing. And I think in a lot of these auditions, and I think Chicago is one of those where you have this group warm up room and you're in there for a while, and eventually you'll move to your you know your own little private warm up room. But for the majority of the time, you're sitting there and there's other people just blasting away. And it's kind of hard to, you know, to block that out unless you're doing something physically to block it out. Like my, my brain's not that good to, to block 10 other people warming up. That's why I have the headphones in. Just like, I'm just trying to get in my own world, get comfortable, get set up, get, you know, okay with what's happening. Um, and so I think that helps. And like, you know, trying to get in some sort of routine as well. And I think it's one of those things that like um, Gail Williams talked about when I played for her before Atlanta. And it's like, you know, and she's mentioned it in classes, like if you're going to drink coffee every morning before your, um, before an audition, drink coffee the morning of the audition. Now, I personally don't think that's a good idea because <laughs> there's enough jitters already. Yeah. And like, but I can't drink coffee in the mornings before rehearsals because I'll get jittery but I can do it before practice sessions. I don't, I don't know why it's just, unless I have like too much and then it's weird, but you know, for auditions, like if you want to have a drink the night before and that's normal for you, like just do that, just try to get into some sort of normalcy. But I think like, you know, the group practice rooms, listening to music, just trying to zone, you know, like zone everything else out or just like play on your phone for a little while and do something to engage your mind enough <laughs> 
So you're not thinking about like, oh God, what happens if I mess up that thing or this thing that I'm not really comfortable on? What if they ask for that excerpt? Because of course, like if there's one you're like super nervous about, it's probably going to show up. Yeah. And so it's just inevitably happens, but you know, just like trying to take yourself out of that sort of thing. Yeah, for me, definitely, like you were saying, the the waiting and the not occupying my brain is the worst part about the audition. Like once I'm out there, it's okay. If I can remember just to play out and not play in, usually it's fine. Um, but yeah, I'm just kind of curious. I feel like that's the thing I still struggle with with anything I care about is is tr trying to release myself from from the outcome. And I can tell myself all day long, I will learn something from this and that yeah. will make it worth it. But it doesn't alleviate or remove that desire, you know? No, and it doesn't make you feel better that much after you get done and you're like, <laughs> I didn't advance. Great. Mm -hmm. Right. Great. This is a great learning experience. No. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, well, kind of speaking in that regard, uh, towards the back half of this or the back part of this interview, um, I mean... I'm just kind of curious. This could be professional. It could be personal. I mean, it has, you control the level of deepness that we go here. But um, I have, like, it, me not getting tenured in Indianapolis was, like, a not great thing that happened that taught me a lot of really important lessons that in some sort of weird way I'm thankful for. And I'm kind of curious if you, you know, if you have any examples of struggles like that, where it made certain lessons you maybe had learned earlier, it made them real, or you learned brand new lessons that are like part of how you just view or interpret the world now. Uh, I'm kind of curious because I find this helps us get to know, get to know you like that much more deeply when you make it kind of take us to the struggle. So if there's anything you can think of, man, I'd be very interested in just listening. <laughs> um, I get like, so I've had plenty of struggles, like one of you know playing in the orchestra, but some of the times I like I'll either forget what they are, or like I'll kind of learn from it and move on. But like there's certain things that stick with you, um, and things that force you to to learn a little bit more. Um, so like like I was talking about like what I think about my own playing. Like one of my weaknesses now, like obviously like inconsistency. I always think it is, and I I still believe it is. You know, getting a more interesting sound is another one. My low range is garbage now. <laughs> like I used to have a rockin' low. I remember <clears throat> that Brant concert piece to this day. That low G that like mm -hmm. caused an earthquake somewhere. And I've had people mention that to me still, and they're like, "Man, I love that piece." Or like when you did that, I'm like, "Well, cool," because I can't do it anymore. Because <laughs> it's like you know, cause my my high range wasn't great either, which is not ideal for a principal trumpet. Like I could get a high C, but I couldn't like get a, like a rock and high C. Mm -hmm. And I just I think I can get like a pretty good one now. Like I feel if I see a high C, I'm not like oh, it's like all right, yeah, yeah, fine, you got it. Um, but like you know, certain things have suffered from it. So low has suffered. So every time I play Shasti five, um, I'm scared of it. And like the end of the first movement, boop boop, mm -hmm. low A, which it's doubled. And it's not really that soft. It's, I mean, I think it's labeled pianissimo, but like, you know, you're playing with another member of the section and there's other people in the orchestra playing. You can kind of be comfortable, but I'm always like crapping myself a little bit at the end of that. And I told Mark who I was, who was playing second last time, I was like, if you hear me not come in, 
keep going. <laughs> and sure enough, I didn't come in on one of them. Yeah. Just, oh, oh. Um, so that's one thing that's like, that's kind of irked me. And then I, I try to like demonstrate things to students sometimes too. And like, it doesn't work occasionally. I'm like, oh uh, yeah, just do what I do it. How I sang it or how I said it, not how, you know, how it, how it came out. And like, so um, let's see in November of 20, oh God, what is it? 2019 now we did um, Mahler eight. Um, mm. That was the first time doing that. And that was a lot of fun. Um, and I did not have a good high E flat, which you kind of need for that piece. Um, so I spent a lot of time working on that and my, my range did improve from it and did, I did learn from it, but there was like, there was a couple rehearsals where it was like, you know, feeling really good about it and they came out great. And then during the one concert, I think it was like a, it was a special or maybe the second one went better. I don't know, but like one of them didn't go great. And I was so pissed and just like, yeah. you know, you know, I was saying like, you know, beating myself up for it, but it was a learning experience. So I have to like try to take it in stride. But I remember at the time I was like supposed to do something else afterwards at a, um, like a donor thing. And I just like told the person, I was like, I'm not coming. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm too angry. I'm not going to be of much use <laughs> for this. And like the patrons are not going to want to hang out with me. Uh, so it's yeah. Um, like the first time I played Mahler five uh, was my, I think it's maybe my first or second year. I don't remember. Uh, but the first rehearsal also crapping myself because it's Mahler five. It's Mahler five, yeah. And like, it was like ba da da da, ba da da ha, and then like ba 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 da ba di ba da ba 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 yeah yeah, and it was all it was all very very bad. And like after the first one, like the conductor stopped the orchestra and then started again, and it was better. But like everybody's kind of laughing. I was like, oh, great, like I don't have tenure yet. And this is I have the orchestra laughing at me. That's that's ideal. Um. <laughs> And, I, and it was better after that. It was just like, but it's like in my head, I was like, that's a big strike against me. Like, yeah, the tenor review is coming up soon. Like, mm-mm. Like, I like that. To the point where also there was like, somehow someone in admin had heard about it. And like, specifically how I messed up. And then like, like, joked to me about it later on. I was like, how did you hear about this thing? Like, like, do you have like a feed going on upstairs? Yeah. <laughs> Which I think they did, but it was just like, God. <laughs> um, so, I mean, like, besides that, like, there's been times where I've had, like, I'll, my, like, chops will feel really good and I'll, I'll be pushing myself and, you know, pushing my endurance and everything. And then the bottle will drop out because it's either what I was doing wasn't sustainable or I was doing it the wrong way. Right. And it's like, oh, I have no fine control anymore. And now, like half my notes are air balls. How do I fix that? Um, yeah, this so is this yeah. is something Tom Siders and I talked about kind of at length in our interview. Tom Siders is in the Boston Symphony Orchestra, for those that don't know. Um, Tom was basically like, yeah, when I got my job, I like didn't necessarily know what I was doing. And, you know, there's only, I believe you can prepare for a lot, but there is a fair amount that you just learn on the job, you know, and... That's just the way that it is. So I feel like this conversation is worth talking about because it really helps dispel this idea that like once you win a job, you know everything. 
And and it's really like I think all pros would say the same exact thing that you're describing, which is a lot of the things that we learn, we learn through I mean, I've I've shared this recording of me playing Quiet City on my podcast. Uh, I don't know if people listen to it or not because it's at the very end of an episode, but it's of me going like, right? And that B flat felt terrible. And then I went, and it felt even worse. And then in my head, (laughs) I'm thinking, this isn't a performance. I was like, I wonder what's going to happen next time. And I went, except for everything cuts out, right? And yeah. I, what I learned right there was, I think I should just take a good breath and just play what I hear in my head. Like I was trying so hard to play the trumpet. Yeah. And, you know, like that's an embarrassing story, but it's an important lesson to learn. And it's kind of what you're describing. Like we have yeah. these, we, everybody has this. Everybody has these moments in every Almost. job. And, and that's how we learn in some regard. And, and we learn to set up systems in place so this kind of stuff doesn't happen. And that just becomes our routines and everything like that. And what's that? There's a quote. It's like, you don't learn from your success. You learn from your failures. Right. And it's like, and of course, you don't want to fail during a concert, but it's often the most illuminating version of you know what's going on. Yeah, you can't hide. And there's this trombone you can't player. Hide and yeah, it's like in all of the like a little bit extra stress or like the end of the day after having a um uh you know like a, a dress rehearsal. So maybe your chops are a little bit more tired. So it's like, all right, do you need to not go uh like balls to the wall during your dress and just save a little bit or you know? Yeah. Just management. One of my favorite quotes, it's uh, from a trombone player uh, named Jared Roden. Jared told me this quote. It was after that concert. He, he played in Indianapolis at the time. And he said, it sounds like you just needed more experience. Unfortunately, experience <laughs> is what you get right after you needed it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that, so I, yeah, it brings pretty true with what we're talking about. And I appreciate you being willing to sort of share some of those struggles. Because I think, like I said, a lot of people have, I think, a mis... So then to to, bounce, to sort of piggyback on that, I think if we recognize that perfection and knowing everything is not what is required to be successful in a job, what mm-hmm. would be your reflections on now having tenure, being with the Atlanta Symphony for eight years, what would your reflections on success, like what, what causes or what is what is required to re- achieve success? And by success, we'll define it as just not losing your job and having longevity. <laughs> Um, I think like the easiest thing is, um, don't be a dick. Okay. You know, like, like, you know, there's like people you maybe have met in orchestras and I've met who are just like, they're mean or like, they like don't have a good, uh, personality. Maybe not like they, they don't intend to, but like the way it comes across, maybe it can be just rude or gruff or like, now you don't have to be everybody's friend, but I think you have to be a pleasant person. But the biggest thing, I mean, I mean, playing obviously is number one um and just be i think dependable um you don't have to be perfect you don't have to be amazing you don't have to like nail every excerpt every single time and like you know like make people applaud you every time you you know you you play an excerpt but you got to sound good you got to sound like you know what you're doing and just people have to be comfortable sitting next to you I think that's the biggest thing from like from now being on the other side of audition committees too, is like hearing somebody and you're like, I would be comfortable sitting next to them. I'd be comfortable playing in a section with them. 
it's not like, oh, they're a great player, but, you know, it's kind of like, oh, they're a great player. And like, yeah, if there are two people down for me, great. You're going to fill out the section. Great. So I think that's like, that's the big thing feeling, you know, that's like, I think, you know, Barbara talked about as well. It's like, sound like, you know what you're doing. Even yeah. if you don't, you got to fake it. I mean, that's, you know, fake it till you make it sort of thing. I did. I was absolutely doing that my entire um, <laughs> audition. Um, and like the final round of my audition in Atlanta, um, Bartok um, fifth movement was on there. And the first time I did it, it like, it wasn't great. And they're like, would you like to do it again? And I was like, yeah. And I started in a weird place. Cause I think they were like, just wanted to hear the end. I, I don't know why I started like partway through <laughs> and it was worse. And they started laughing and then like, I did it again. Like eventually I got like through it and it was fine. No, but like, I think cause I was like good spirit about it. And I was mm. just like, like, it wasn't like I was just like, I shut down. I was like, I don't know why I chose to start there. Can I do it again? And they were like, yes, please. Like, re- <laughs> You know, and it's like, and I think, you know, it, even for getting a job, I think, and, and for keeping the job, not being, I don't want to say this in the wrong way, not being happy with what you're giving every time. Like, you always want to be improving. You don't want to just be like, all right, I'm going to maintain. Like, yeah, you want to sound good every time, but I think it, as long as you have that drive to, like, try to be a little bit better every single time, I think it'll, like, even if the net result is the same, that you do kind of maintain a good, solid everything. That's all you need, I think. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think for a very long time in my life and in my job, I was I knew what was expected, so yeah. I could do that. But what was expected, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about, the weight of doing your best. What was expected of me was not me reaching my potential. You know, like I could reach that point and I w- it was okay. And I'm not saying every single project of everything you ever do in your life has to be the very best you're doing, but if it's something you're gonna you're gonna give yourself to, that perspective you just shared, I think, is super important. That you want to try to get a little bit better. You want to try to learn a little bit more. Yeah. You know, that way that way it means you don't have to know everything right now because you're committed to learning over the long term. Yeah, and I think like there's still so much that I don't know. And it's sort of like one of those things where it's like the more I learn, the more I learn that I don't know. It's like, <laughs> yeah. So it's like everything like opens up another little thing, but yeah, just be a good person. No, like do your job. Um, try to be as dependable as you can. Um, try not to cause too many waves. <laughs> sure. I mean, like you don't want to like just be in the background all the time, especially in, you know, like a, a principal gig, you kind of have to be at the forefront a little bit, but I think there's ways to approach it. And I think, you know, just, just in being collaborative. And I think that helps if you have a, a section that's open to it and that are, you know, pleasant people that are like willing to work with you and like, hey, here's how we I think this could work or here's how we do things. Or if you need some help, let me know, whatever. Yeah, man. I, I love this perspective. I, I feel like we should, we should just like, put a hold on it and then bring you back on again sometime where we can, cause I want to, I want to like dig into what you're just talking about, but I feel like that's a podcast topic in and of itself, just sort of like managing workplace relationships yeah. and like, gosh, I have many, many <laughs> ideas and stories <laughs> uh, and I want to be able to give it its due. Cause I think it could be a very valuable thing. And so, um, yeah, I, if you're cool, I feel like this is a good place to just like, 
put sure, the brakes yeah. on it. And uh, I appreciate all of your uh, your insights. If anybody is listening out there and they're thinking, Stuart sounds like a very good looking man, how would I get in <laughs> touch with him to tell him that? Uh, how would someone be able to get in touch with you uh, if they if they needed to? Uh, through my email, Instagram, Facebook, but email and Instagram are the easiest. Um, I, is that something you post on there? Or is that just I can, like, but if you want to yeah. say it too, just in case. So it's my last name, Stevenson.trumpet, like the instrument I play, at gmail.com. It's very creative. Yeah, I know. It's, it's simple, <laughs> and I can't forget it this way. And uh, then I think my Instagram is like Stevenson.trumpet or something. Again, very creative. Yeah, so <laughs> I can link those. But uh, yeah, check that out if you're interested and uh, see what Stuart's up to and reach out if any of this episode... He shared a lot. He, I, I just think it'd be worth it if, if you got something out of it to let him know. If you need yeah. to get anything from me, uh, this is funny. You're episode number 101. So what I'm about to All say, right. I've had 100, I've said it 101 times. If you need to get in touch with me, you can do so at thatsnotspit.com or at that's not spent on Facebook and Instagram. If you enjoyed the episode or you had any feelings at all whatsoever, if you wouldn't mind giving it a rating and a review on iTunes, I would really appreciate it. And don't forget to share this on social media so other people can find it and enjoy it as well. Stuart, thank you so much for your time and being willing to share all of your ideas and wisdom and your laughter. It's good to catch up with you again, man. Really good to see you again. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Hopefully I didn't ramble on and uh, meander about too much. No, man, it was great. It was really, really great. Um, I'd like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode of the podcast. And most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening. Stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing, and we'll see you next time.